Hello and welcome to another week of the extras as we continue along in our journey in the book of Ezekiel. Lachlan with you again. And I'm Sam. It's great to be with you once again this week. Sam, we've hit now in the book of Ezekiel chapter 4. So 1 to 3 in many ways were build up of commissioning of the yep. prophet. Chapter yep. 4, we start to get the prophet's message. Mm. Fill us in. What's Ezekiel up to in chapter 4? Yeah, well, it's, it's a very dramatic section. Uh, literally so. Um, Ezekiel has to perform a bunch of drama. Um, and uh, he, it's interesting for one who's commissioned to speak. He doesn't do a lot of speaking, but he does a lot of showing. And he um, does all these highly symbolic acts uh, to help us understand what God is going to do to the city of Jerusalem. Literally, he has to make a little city of Jerusalem yeah. out of clay, yeah. uh, perform a bunch of um, you know things to it. I call it a bit of prophetic warhammer. He has to play <laughs> play with the figurines. And, uh, and then he has to do a bunch of acting, lying down on his side, all of which has various symbolic meanings to help the people, the audience, understand that um, Israel and the South Judah and Jerusalem are under God's judgment, mm. and uh, God is God is going to fiercely deal with them because of their sin. Um, and uh, so it's a very rich chapter, but also mm. quite a quite a a scary chapter because it brings us face to face with an angry God who is coming in wrath on His people. And um, yeah, uh, that that was Ezekiel chapter four. Yeah, it's it's fun seeing Ezekiel start to play this stuff out. Uh, God sent a message actually since Sunday. Um, one of the things that he has to act out is putting together this loaf of bread, mm. uh, six different grains. Yes. Do you know, Sam, that someone in America, classic yes. American Christianity, uh, has made bread? Ezekiel bread. Yes. Is that so? They've sprouted <laughs> the different grains and they've turned that into a loaf of bread that apparently, according to the advertising, contains all the amino acids you could need. Is that so? Uh, not quite the context of Ezekiel chapter 4. Yes. Yeah, well, Ezekiel is, is, is there as the scavenger who's, who, in, in a shortage of food, is, is making yeah. his bread out of whatever you can get, I think. And, yeah. Uh, but there you go. Um, we got a bunch of questions about this. Like, yeah, let's jump in. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me read out the, the first one for you, mate. Um, uh, somebody said, I'm confused about the timeline in Ezekiel. Um, the, amen, brother, I am, or sister. <laughs> I, I, it can be challenging, and uh, it's really important to keep thinking timeline. Uh, but they're saying, in, in chapter 4, Ezekiel is talking about a siege of Jerusalem, which ended up happening a few years later, but isn't Ezekiel doing all this with the exiles in mm. Babylon? So hasn't Jerusalem already been defeated? Why would there be exiles in Babylon if Jerusalem hasn't yet been captured? Great question. Yeah, I'm glad we can get some clarity on this because it does have an impact not just in Ezekiel, but across other books of the Bible that you might read mm. as well. And yeah, Sam, it took me a, a long time to start to get the timeline into my head. Yeah. I remember the first few times seeing a diagram mapping out the timeline of the Bible. Yep. And thinking, oh yeah, and then I'd forget it. Yeah. For a sure. month later, six definitely six months later. Yeah. So uh, repetition will help here. Yeah. And the yeah. more you come back to this kind of stuff, it'll be good. Yep. So what's going on with the exile? Well, it took place in two stages separated by about ten years. Mm. So we read the history of this back in the book of Two Kings. Yep. That's kind of a historical account of what happened for Israel. In chapter 24, uh, you get King Jehoiachin, uh, who becomes king at 18 in Judah. He doesn't reign for very long, three months, uh, because then Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes down and puts uh, Judah, Jerusalem under siege. Mm. But Jehoiachin kind of capitulates quickly, surrenders quickly. Yep. Uh, and because of that surrender, he gets taken off as king to Babylon, yep. along with all the leaders mm. of Israel. So 2 Kings 24 talks about, I think, 10,000 people get taken captive to yep. Babylon. Yep. What happens then is Babylon puts a different person in charge in Jerusalem. 
So it's actually Jehoiachin's uncle, uh, whose name gets changed to Zedekiah. So that's the first stage, and that's where Ezekiel gets carried off to Babylon. And it was quite a common tactic at that point to, to kind of chop off the, 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 topper, the upper echelons mm. of society. Um, it's a great way to avoid a, a nation rebelling against you. If yeah. you take all the leadership and all of the uh, kind of people of influence and you exile them and you, you leave the, the laborers and mm. the working class there to mm. keep the land rolling, but you're much less likely to get an uprising and a, and a, and a pushback. Uh, and so it's a way of subduing an enemy um, without killing everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where we are. As we're preaching Ezekiel, we're in that. Uh, the top's been chopped off. Uh, they, they've all been exiled, but the the working class are all mm. still at home. Mm. Yeah, that's where we are. And that lasts for nine years or so. It doesn't quite quell the uprising. So mm. nine years in, Zedekiah decides he wants to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes again and says, enough's enough. Yeah. You guys are too rebellious. We just have to smash and kill you. That's right. So that's the second part yeah. that we're reading about in Ezekiel 4. And it's worth noting, Ezekiel is one of those first exiles. As, mm. the, as the prophet of God, um, he's taken off uh, with the exiles and uh, he is speaking about events that are going to happen to the homeland in and to all the, the working class, if you like, mm. um, who are at home. Um, yeah, and that, that's probably helpful just to keep that context in our minds, isn't it? That there's this sort of two-stage thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, and if you ever read Jeremiah, he's back in Jerusalem still during this. So you get different prophetic voices around the same event. Yeah. Now, well, that'll probably help us. Our second question, can I read this one up here? Yeah, yeah. While we're on this theme. Um, uh, Somebody's said, look, this question was in the Bible study and I'm still a bit confused about it. And uh, the question there was, notice that Ezekiel is performing these actions to people already in Mm. exile with him. He's not prophesying to the people in Jerusalem, even Mm. though his actions are all about them. Why? And that's a great question, isn't it? Why give a message about the destruction of Jerusalem to people who've already been kicked out of it? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And it helps us to think what's the purpose of Ezekiel in its own context. Excellent. Uh, Rather than sometimes when we read the Bible, we can be quick to jump to what it means for us today. Yep. uh, But we actually have to start in the context Mm. and understand it there. I think for those who had been taken off in that first stage of the exile, for some of them, they were already pretty pessimistic and thinking, this is it, life's mm-hmm. over, it's all done. But some of them would have still had an optimism that, hey, this this can't be the end of the story. Like, we're going to go back to Jerusalem quickly. Yep. We get a sense from later in Ezekiel and from other prophets like Jeremiah that actually there are false prophets mm-hmm. among the exiles as well mm-hmm. that Ezekiel's kind of contrasting and speaking against. And those false prophets are giving a sense of hope yep. that, yeah, you're here in exile now, but don't worry. You'll get back home soon. Yeah. Don't don't get too involved in Babylon. Don't stress too much. Yep. This will be over quickly. Yeah. Uh, someone suggests, and I think you can probably see this overlap in the Bible. So Zedekiah, who was left as the king in Jerusalem, mm. he actually made a visit to Babylon about five years into his reign. Oh, and that right. perhaps overlaps with when Ezekiel's starting this prophetic moment. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so this commentator suggested maybe the exiles are seeing you know, their leader come and think, oh, are we working out a deal? Will we get to go mm-hmm. home with him? Yeah. And Ezekiel's really bringing the message, no, yeah. this is just getting started. Yeah. Jerusalem is done and dusted. There's no going back. I wonder if there's another element to it as well, which is that as, as well as the certainty that they're going to go back soon, I, I think there's also a sense that they think because the south, the like the city of Jerusalem, is mm. where God dwells, mm. um, we're, we're immune. Like we've got our lucky charm. God, God's sure. in our midst. The temple's there. 
Yeah. No one will ever breach the gates yeah, of yeah. Jerusalem. And there's a false confidence that's based on the temple and on the presence of God in the temple. Yeah. Um, and and, uh, and I think that's actually, like, not to spoil the story of what's about to happen, but mm. actually when God's glory departs mm. from the temple, which is going to happen in a few chapters time, I'm sorry to spoil that for you. Um, that that's I think a little bit of an indicator that don't don't think that, that just because the temple's here that you're untouchable and you can yeah. sin with impunity. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big part of. I, I wonder if that's also in in the um, the drama of Ezekiel four um, when he lies on his side for three hundred ninety days as Israel and has Israel sin on him. All the all the his audience are all southerners. They're like, yeah, that's right. Those mm. Israel, those northerners, they're the baddies. Of course, they're under God's judgment. But then the second part of the act is to lie as Judah um, mm. and, and be tied up and be under God's judgment. And there's something like, whoa, you're saying Judah, the south's going to fall? I think there's something in that as well. So, yeah, okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, this leads us into the next question. Um, but you've touched on something there that... Uh, so you, you read Israel there as the north. Yeah, I, th- oh, I think okay. that, I think that's there the two the two sides of it. So you've got uh, three hundred ninety for Israel, which corresponds to the the number of years uh, from the um, from the schism after Solomon's son Rehoboam, uh, with Jeroboam son of Nebat, through to the Assyrian um, exile. There's three hundred ninety years there, and I think that's the, the years of sin that it's talking about mm. there. And then then there's a forty years for Judah, which is I think the shock in that passage that there's. Um, that there's something bad happening in the drama for Judah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think we disagree on that one, Sam, but we don't need to uh, <laughs> bore the extras listeners with that. It, it's the trickiness of that term, Israel. I brought this mm. out for the growth group leaders when we did a longer work mm. through of the history that, you know, the North is tricky because it's called Israel, but then the whole thing's called Israel. Mm. Um, predominantly throughout the book of Ezekiel, mm. Israel refers to the whole kind of as one unit. But, yeah, mm. we can argue about that later Sam and uh, flesh that out but someone has asked about these days lying on the side that's one of the moments of drama in Ezekiel 4 so 390 days plus 40 days 430 days in total that's a long time to be lying on your side I heard someone chatting on Sunday you know the bed sores would be real Um, but someone's asked here you know is, is he literally lying on his side for 24 hours a day yeah seven days a week 430 days in a row. Yeah. Um, I don't think it necessarily implies 24 hours a day. It does say you'll do it for 390 days. Um, mm. But uh, in the midst of that, he's to be also doing what happens in verses 9 to 12, which is um, taking wheat and uh, uh, weighing it out and then cooking his food daily. Um, so that I use the imagery of street theatre, um, yeah. that, that Ezekiel is a, he's communicating a message and he's using visual communication here and each day there's a show at the prophet ezekiel's house and the first part of the show is he lies down his side and he stares at the city Mm. you know and then the next part of the show is he gets out his food and he eats it Mm. at different bits through the day and he gets out his water and then you know we're going to read chapter five he then shaves his head and he burns his head like Mm. there's all these different bits that go on in the street Mm. theater Um, but i don't think it just implies that he just lies there for um 24 hours a day doing nothing else um that's not the impression that I... I don't think you have to read it in that way. Could he have done that? Possibly. Mm. Um, but I'm not I'm not convinced that you have to read it that way um, just because it says he lays there for 390 days. I think it's... Yeah. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it it's not explicit. So we're trying to infer from the details that we have. Yeah. How could he do these other things while lying there? Yeah, that's uh, right. Presumably, he does go home at night to have a sleep at least. Yeah, that's right. Up there overnight. Yeah, that's um, it. But some of these things the prophets get asked to do, I, in prep, I noticed again that Isaiah has to walk around naked for three years. Yeah. So 
you know. There you go. There's big things. I'm sure yeah. he put some clothes on at some point there as well overnight. Yep. Uh, yep. Now, still on these numbers, mm. 390 days, 40 days. Yeah. People are thinking about the number 40. Um, I don't know. We've talked about perhaps what the 390 meant before. I take it that the 40 here is not precise as 40, but kind of symbolic yeah, for the exile. Same, yeah. And it brings up 40 as a symbolic number. Someone's asked about Jesus being tested for 40 days mm-hmm. in the wilderness. Yep. And whether that's related, is that 40 days of Jesus being tested or bearing yeah. sin? Yeah. What's T- going on? Typically, um, 40 is a number um, connected to judgment. So you think of... Um, Noah's flood, 40 days and 40 mm. nights of rain. You think of uh, the wilderness wanderings. Why were they wandering for 40 years? And Because for 40 days they looked into the land and went, oh, this is scary, we don't trust God. Mm. And God then... And, and I think there's actually an explicit comment in of that in Numbers oh, numbers 14 or somewhere like that where God says, yeah. actually, for because of the 40 days of your disobedience, I give you 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, the language that's very similar to what we have in Ezekiel 4. That's right, that's right. And so... Um, I think that's part of what's going on there. So then what's going on with Jesus when he takes 40 days um, and he's tempted um, in, in those 40 days in the wilderness? Um, I think what's going on there is, is actually remembering Israel's story. So um, it's and it's identified um, Israel were supposed to be God's son, his his precious kind of people. Um, but they didn't. They weren't obedient. They didn't do uh, what God called them to do. And every time God, you know, He made a covenant with them, but they disobeyed and rebelled. Um, but then Jesus comes, and one of the ways that, particularly Matthew's gospel, sets him up. Um, uh, Matthew sets him up as the true Israel, mm. uh, the the one who who did uh, exactly what God um, would have him do. That and he's the true Adam and the true Israel. He's kind of like the perfect man mm. in that in that regard. Mm. And so. He goes out into the wilderness um, and he's tempted by the devil, but he's without sin. And yeah. then you get the story of him out there dealing with the devil and the devil puts these temptations in front of him and he, and he stands firm in each of them. And that's, I think, the point of it, that where Israel failed, mm. Um, mm. Jesus will now succeed in mm. terms of um, obedience to the Father, uh, which is a great joy because um, uh, for when Jesus is obedient, he, he actually then offers um, kind of the the fruit of his obedience, his righteousness um, to us when he dies on the cross for us. So um, that I think that's the symbolism that we're supposed to get from that. Yeah. Which is pretty significant as kind of a framework for understanding the whole Bible, right? Yeah. To see that Jesus is the one in whom God's covenant with Israel is fulfilled. Mm. Yeah. Uh, go read God's Big Picture with Vaughan Roberts to yeah. get more on that if you haven't already. Yep. Uh, great couple of questions there on the numbers. I think yeah. we've got a few more on application yeah all right well let's get into those let me ask you one now Lachlan um somebody's asked a question about just war and the Mm. destructions that come from war and is that the result of human sin and the act of God's judgment um so I guess there's a kind of double barrel question there um yeah so let's try and get into that and unpick it a little bit war and the the results of it um what's where does it come from Mm. like yeah is is that um yeah. Well, I'm glad that whoever sent this question in used the word and rather than or. Because yeah. even if they'd said or, human sin or God's judgment, I yep. still would have said the answer yes. Yeah. Uh, it's both, isn't yeah. it? Um, it? You see that throughout the Bible, and we see that here in Ezekiel. That was one of the points I tried to make strongly on Sunday, is that if we were there watching the siege of Jerusalem, it would horrify us. Mm. Like, it, it's a horrific moment. The Babylonians were ruthless people. Mm. 
And Ezekiel is saying God is the one who's actually besieging Jerusalem through the Babylonians. Mm. So God is the judge in that moment, using the Babylonians as his tool. Now, the prophet Isaiah picks that up with really strong language of Babylon as God's tool and Assyria as well against the north. Mm -hmm. The book of Habakkuk is probably the best exploration of this mm. because Habakkuk, this is his concern, right? He, he has looked at Israel and seen their sinfulness mm. and he cries out to God going, God, what are you doing? How can you let this sin continue mm. amongst your people? And God's answer is, no, I'm going to do something about it. I'm bringing the Babylonians. Yeah. To which Habakkuk then goes, what? <laughs> like they're even more sinful than mm. Israel. Yeah. And, and God's answer in response to that is, yes, they are. And in turn, I will judge them mm. because although they are my tool for judgment, they overstep the bounds of that and they're prideful about it and they're more vicious than they need to be. Mm. Uh, so war, at least in this particular instance in the Bible, is both God's judgment, but also an expression of human sin on both sides. Mm. Yes, human sin being judged, but also human sin in carrying out the war. Mm. And so the Babylonians will later be judged for their actions. Yeah. So there's one particular instance. Now, to move from that to war generally across the globe, Russia, Ukraine at the moment, South yeah. Sudan, lots of war that is ongoing, quite sadly. I think in the general sense, we say that that is God's judgment. I can't point you to anything in particular that, say, Ukraine has done that God is judging them for. I don't think the Bible mm. invites us to speculate like mm. that. Yeah. In the same way that we can say for Jerusalem, this is the sin that you're being judged for. Mm. But as we've said in the earlier chapters of Ezekiel, we are all rebellious against God as humanity. Mm. And we live in a world that is under God's judgment now, mm. even while there'll be a final day of judgment to come. We're in a, in a world under God's judgment, under the curse. Yeah. And so sickness, famine, plague, war are all part of the mm. ongoing judgment of God, the wrath of God that is being poured out on the yeah. And that's that's moment. helpful to note. Like, I mean, Jesus speaks about it. You know, nations are going to rise against nations, yeah. and people against people, and that that's going to be part of life in these end days, um, which is a little bit different to to life in Israel's time, where Israel were the chosen people of God, mm. and God often made explicit comment about an, an event that would happen to them as yeah. a special people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's worth distinguishing. But yeah, I think you're right in the sense that we live in the, in these last days, and and uh, until that final judgment, there's going to be all these initial parts of God's God's wrath on the world which are which are awful and horrific and war's one of them. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um now let, let's keep uh going along here. Um no matter how much they cry out someone's texted in, God won't hear them. I, I take it that's uh inferring the, the image of the pan the between pan, yeah. between um the city and uh, God, Ezekiel acting as God mm. at that moment. Um, and uh, someone said, look, how do we pair that with the idea of God's people never being separated from him? You know, um, no height, no depth. Um, mm. Yeah, no nothing can separate us, Romans 8, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But it seems like in the Old Testament, God sort of cut himself off. Um, yeah. He did. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this one as well, Sam, because I think I have some half-formed thoughts and not a fully fleshed, systematic answer on this one. Yeah. Uh, God has been very patient with Israel and for many long years, he's sent them prophet after prophet to whom they haven't listened. Mm. Uh, we've just been reading Matthew recently because that's where we're headed after Ezekiel. And you get some of the stories of that. Mm. The vineyard owner 
who sends messenger after messenger and they mistreat them and kill them. Yep. Uh, and so God is now dealing in Ezekiel with the people who have had plenty of opportunity to cry out and have not done so. And so this is a point where he goes, enough is enough, the time is done. Mm. It does make me think of Hebrews, which we were in recently. And there's a warning there against hardening your heart up to a point where you become like Esau, mm. who though he cried out with tears, couldn't find that opportunity for repentance. Yep. So I think we can get to a point where we are so hardened and we have exhausted the patience of God I want to be very careful in saying that because the whole sweep of the Bible uh, always invites repentance. And even in Ezekiel chapter 3, we've had that call. Yep. God doesn't want the wicked to die. And I think that that's where you start to see, like this chapter 4 comes right after chapter 3. Mm. And what was the image in chapter 3? It was a watchman who is warning um, and with, with, with four scenarios, and the last one was which, you know, where if the watchman warns and people repent, mm. um, that both will be saved, mm. uh, but both will be spared. Um, but then there's three scenarios where, you know, sometimes the watchman does and doesn't warn and mm. people don't mm. listen. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, pe- people are, are judged accordingly. Um, so I think for, in, in this sense, um, there is, the, for those who repent, there there is a... Um, there is here they be heard absolutely yeah. um but those who are not repent who who won't repent and yet still try and call out to Yahweh um i, I think that's that's part of what the yeah. image is is getting yeah. at there um and, and i i take it at that point that there's a there's something analogous to um uh th- there will be a final day that we will stand before god at which point god says it's too late to repent at that point yeah. um and if you you know now is the time for mm. repentance now is the day mm. of salvation um and and a final day is coming when god's patience will be exhausted and jesus will return mm. and the, the dead will be raised and all will face the judgment and that's the point where it's too late and then mm. there won't god will not listen at that point um and i think that's the image that we're meant to get here that um repentance is for now but there, there's there's a point where when the judgment comes, um, it's too late to repent, and uh, so so repent while that while there is time. Which makes me think of two Peter three, where you get that language that you know the reason Jesus hasn't come back is because it's God is being patient, giving time to repent. Now is the day of salvation. Yeah, I think I think that's the idea there. And I, whereas I think on that day when you know the the books are opened and people are standing before the Lord, that that is it's too late at that point. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's the iron curtain image. You know, it's. Mm. Um, yeah, so in the day of the siege, when in, in Ezekiel's day, when when, it, when the Babylonians roll in and the armies are actually camping outside, it's it's too late. The judgment mm. has arrived, mm. and I think there's a stark warning for us to repent while we have the time. Mm. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, and you know this person's asked about assurance, mm. uh, cry out to God; He mm. will hear you. Turn mm. back to Him in repentance if you've been in sin, mm. and know that like the prodigal son coming home, he will welcome you Absolutely. if you leave your sin behind and come back to him in Christ. Mm. But don't delay. Don't do that. Do that before it's too yeah. late. Yeah. yeah. Look, let's press on in... Mm. Actually, this next question is an application. It's, it's more of a theological question before mm. we land on a final application one. Yeah. Uh, Sam, in your sermon, you landed in Jesus on the cross and yep. you, you talked about his wrestle in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, yeah. Because Ezekiel 4 is all about the wrath of God and God's judgment, yeah, yep. which Jesus experienced for us. Yeah. How good is that? Yeah. 
someone has had a kind of theological question raised by Gethsemane. Mm. If Jesus can say, not my will, but yours be done. Yep. Does Jesus have a different will to the Father? Yep. How's that fit with Trinity? Yeah. Um, thank you. Lachlan and I, we, we, you and I were discussing this um, beforehand. Um, and uh, perhaps the, the, what, a simple way to understand it is that um, Jesus, as, as a man who has two natures, um, he's both fully God mm. and fully human. Um, and uh, that's the doctrine, we call that doctrine the incarnation, that, that God became flesh. Um, and as such, he he actually has two wills in that sense. There's there's God the Son who is kind of pre-existing, you know, um, existed with God the Father from all eternity. Um, but there's also um, Jesus the Man um, who, like you and I, w- was able to be tempted and uh, was tired and hungry and all the all the regular bits of being a human being. Um, and in that moment. Um, he he wants so there's a sense in which he has two wills uh, mm. as God um, as God and as man and I think this is an expression of his human will as uh, as the true Adam relating to his heavenly Father just expressing his fear and his you know the, the language of Gethsemane is quite um, uh, it's quite emotional it's enough, yeah. he's there emotional. he's crying he's weeping mm. he's uh, he's sweating uh, and he's you know trembling in the garden before because he knows. That the, the plan of God, um, the plan of God from before the creation of the world is that tomorrow he will face the wrath, mm. wrath of God. And it's not just the, the torture of crucifixion he's scared of, it's the, it's the wrath of God um, mm. poured out on sinners that mm. is the real terror for him. Um, and so he's, he's scared and he's expressing that very humanly to God, saying, I'm, I'm scared, but not my will. Um, yeah. you know, please, if I could go some other way, let's do that. But not my will, but yours be done. And uh, so I think that's what's going on there, that in Jesus there are two wills. Um, mm. And uh, I think the Council of Chalcedon in the uh, 5th century were the ones who sort of uh, sorted that doctrine. Took a while issue to get out. it yeah. sorted, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, I think, part of um, yeah, the way to, hopefully it's a helpful way of thinking about that. And in terms of that connection with the Trinity, uh, you know, God himself only has one will. Mm. So as Christians have reflected since meeting Christ yep. uh, about God in three persons, mm. the orthodox conclusion has been uh, God's will is part of the one nature of God. Yep. So it's one nature and three persons. Yeah. Yep. Uh, will is part of nature, not part of person. Yeah. That's yeah, tricky to get your head around. I'd... I can say the words. I don't really understand the meaning, <laughs> yep. but I'm glad to know that nor do others. Yep. Uh, in prep for this, I just had a quick skim of a book that I read a couple of years ago um, and found a quote where Augustine says, we say that there are three persons so that we don't remain silent. He's like, person <laughs> isn't really the best word, mm. but what word is? What yep. fits? Yep. Um, so God himself has one will. Yep. Jesus has two wills, one divine, one human And what a great example. Like, I think often Jesus' prayers are examples for us. Mm. And And then he actually submits his human will to the will of God. Um, And that's, yeah. Something for us to keep doing day by day. Yep. All right, last question. Mm. Uh, I think both of us throughout Ezekiel so far have been calling people to share the warning. Yeah. If we've heard the warning, we should share that with others. Someone's asked, how do we share this news of coming judgment uh, and the weight of someone's sin, Mm. it's not a particularly exciting thing to talk about. (laughs) No, uh, but it's a really important thing to talk Mm. about. Um, And uh, just keeping that watchman image, you know, um, 
uh, in the back of our head. Um, it's an important thing when there's a, when there's danger on the horizon to sound the sound the warning. Mm. So it's worth thinking through. Mm. Um, uh, it's tricky because it, the answer could be different in a few different contexts. Um, you know, for some listening here, I suspect you are growth group leaders uh, or youth group leaders or um, kids ministry leaders, and, and so you'll actually have formal contexts where in your teaching role, um, you'll actually have an opportunity to speak about the wrath of God. Mm. And uh, it's really important in those, if you have one of those roles and you are a, a teacher of God's word, that you don't um, soften down and back down on those moments. So mm. part of it is having the courage even when we have formal opportunities. Um, but I suspect the question is more about how do I talk to my friends? Um, you know, we're, we're chatting. Um, I think the answer there is um, to begin with your story. Um, and so uh, I think, I mean, all of us have a story of how God has worked to, to save us and to, um, you know, we call that our testimony often, um, the way that, that God has worked in our lives. I, I want to make sure that as, we, as I'm telling my story, that I'm talking about the most central thing that God has done for me. I, I, I don't just want to talk about God being my, my sort of uh, friend, although I do. I don't just want to mm. talk about God. Um, helping me when I'm feeling sad, although I do. I don't just want to talk to him about, you know, giving me the best advice for being a parent, although that's true. Yeah. Mm. I want to talk about him at the central thing of what he's done, which is he saved me from my sins. And so I, I tell the story of you know, my conversion, um, which was, you know, around all around Ephesians chapter 2, where I, for the first time, heard that that there, I had a problem with God and the problem was me, mm. uh, that I was under the wrath of mm. God. And I share that in my testimony. And then I share about how, and then, you know, the, the, the preacher went on to talk about how um, God so loved me that that by grace he made me alive and um, forgave my sins and seated me in heaven with Jesus. Mm, mm. Um, but, I, but I talk about, I, I use that line, there's a problem between me and God and the problem is me, um, which often I find people... Pick, like we'll ask a question about. They say, "What do you mean, Sam? That there's a problem between you and God?" And, mm. and I and that's for me an, an open door to talk about um, both the reality of me as a sinner, but more importantly, the reality of God as the judge, and uh, to speak about the wrath of God in that context. So mm. I find putting that into my story and not not being scared to talk about the fact that I trust Jesus because He saves me from the wrath of God in in my testimony. So I, I try yeah. and make sure that I'm bold enough to share that bit of my story. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's yeah. good. Look, I love this question, um, and I'm glad that people don't find it exciting to talk about God's judgment. I think, mm. again, a couple of weeks ago, we were both reflecting on that, that God himself is not gleeful about mm. judgment. Yep. It says in Ezekiel, it doesn't delight him. Yep. Um, but it is something we need to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I think of the doctor who has a bad diagnosis to share. Mm. If your doctor goes, no, no, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that's nice for the doctor, but for you who's sick. You need to know. You need to know. You need to know. And so we want doctors who are honest with us and we want to be honest with our friends and family. Um, I might suggest that now this might seem scary to you and too bold, but I want to suggest the bold option. Mm. Um, You could chat to your friends this week, next week and say, Hey, we've been learning something at church recently. And I think I need to tell you about it. Mm. Can I, can I just talk to you about what we've been studying in the Bible? Yeah. They might say, no, they'd probably say, Sure, that sounds a bit weird, but yeah. it opens up a chance for you to go, look, yeah. we've just been actually wrestling with the reality that God's going to judge people and I'm worried about you. Yeah, I don't want to see you suffer that judgment. Mm. Can I talk to you some more about yeah. what I believe is going to happen and how you can avoid that? Yeah, There's one option to just bounce off the back of the fact that we are talking about this at church. Yeah, uh, Often 
this used to be the case. I don't know if people still talk about their weekends. Mm. You rock up at work on Monday or school, whatever. What did you do on the weekend? Yeah, you can say I went to church. You can then follow it up and go, went to church. We were looking at some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Can I tell you about it? Yeah. Um, Another thing I've found in these kind of conversations, I have sometimes asked the question of people, what do you think God thinks of you? Mm. And kind of put it on them to reflect on that. Mm. Uh, people have different answers depending on how they feel about their life, whether they believe in God or not. Yep, yep. But you get them thinking and it can open up an opportunity mm. to share this aspect of coming judgment, reality of sin. Totally. Um, so there's some other... Yeah avenues for conversation yep uh but yeah don't don't go out there with an excitement with a billboard going hey i'm so happy that you're all going to hell mm. we're not no we're not happy about that no you're you sad. may go out with a billboard but not happily yeah yeah mm. uh i'm sorry sam i feel like i'm going on this question but the, <laughs> the former mission pastor in me yeah. uh, loves talking and thinking and encouraging people in these conversations um, one of the other places this has come up for me often in the past has been when people are trying to figure out why I want to talk to them about Jesus at all. Because mm. some like people don't want to talk about that. Yeah. And I sometimes I can come across as always coming back to it. Mm. And I'm like, why? Or I ask them to think about why I want to talk about this. Yeah. And it's because of the stakes. Totally. So there's another avenue in to go, I just want you to understand why I actually want to tell you about Jesus. Yeah, I think this is really important. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few a few thoughts on that one. Good stuff, mate. Sam, thanks for your time. Been yeah, good to chat us. Ezekiel 4 with you. This week we're in chapter 5. Yeah. You're, you're going to be leading us through chapter 5. Yeah. It gets even more hectic than yeah, chapter 4. It's, well, it's, the, it's the fifth act of the drama, um, and it involves a sword and lots of cutting. So, mm. you know, that's that kind of gives you a hint as to... Um, yeah, uh, the image that God has for the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm. Um, and uh, there's a terrifying line that I've just been reflecting on, uh, which is that, that God brings this judgment because they've because his people have actually been more unruly than the nations around. Mm. Um, uh, it seems that, yeah, Israel are not just as bad as everyone else, they're worse. And uh, what, what, a, what an indictment that the people of God are worse than the world around them. And mm. uh, so there's a... There's a um, yeah, it's, it's quite a, it's a gloomy chapter. Um, there's a little, little glimpse of hope, uh, which I hope to share with you on Sunday. Mm. Yeah. We'll see you then.